We are blessed. Uh, the Lord, I, I don't know if you guys realize this, but I mean, the Lord has blessed us as a church, hasn't he? I mean, he has blessed us as a church. He has put people in our lives. He has given us gifted uh, people with hearts for him. And uh, you guys maybe didn't catch that that third verse was only on the screen because Alan wrote it this week. And I didn't talk to him, but I know he wrote it this week. I know the Lord put it on his heart, too. Because that's how it works. He probably woke up in the morning with it on his heart. That's the way it tends to work. And uh, you know what it reminded me of? It, at pre-teen camp all week, we sang a hymn. The whole week was about a hymn. Imagine that preteeners learning a hymn by Fanny Crosby. Maybe you didn't know that Miss Fanny, who couldn't see, wrote over 8,000 hymns in her life. And we sang, this is my story. This is my song. I thought it was interesting because, you know, we're about to launch into a whole series where we figure out how our stories work into God's story. And this morning in our text, it's what we're going to see in the life of Peter. We're going to see how there's an upper story of what God is doing in redemption, but there's a lower story that matters. Because we matter to God. If you're here this morning, I just want to say that to you. You matter to God. Your story is important. And God can use you. God can use you. And so we left Jesus in the upper room. He was eating the final Passover feast with his followers before he goes to fulfill it. Of course, that's about to happen on the cross now. Jesus is leaving the upper room. Judas is already gone. Jesus is going to leave the upper room, and he is going to head to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so what is coming is the betrayal of Judas. Peter's going to disown him. It's a very familiar narrative to many of you that were raised in church, but I want to say this, whether you've heard it a hundred times or today you're hearing it for the very first time, my prayer all week has been, Uh, that God would help each of us find ourselves in this story. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to do just that, if you don't mind. Let's pray. Um, Father, we come to you this morning, and we are so grateful for the opportunity to be called your sons and your daughters. God, I am grateful for the four beautiful, wonderful preteen kids that gave their life to you this last week. I'm grateful for the two that recommitted their lives to you this week. Two sweet girls have been baptized in this church. And they said, you know what, I know now I'm 12. I know that I'm not following Jesus like I should. (laughs) God, if we would be that tender. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of this church which gives me great confidence on days like today. Would you come now and teach your people? Would you come now and lift up Jesus? And Jesus, would you please draw us all unto yourself? In Jesus' name we ask these things, amen. We're in Luke chapter 22. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. 
It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and he went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion? that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you didn't lay a hand on me, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away, and they took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them, ma'am. I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. share three things with you this morning, and here's the first lesson I want you to see this morning. I want you to understand that you can't survive Satan's sifting by yourself. You can't survive Satan's sifting by yourself. It's extremely important in these long narrative passages here in Luke that we remember that Luke has an overarching theme and purpose to his writing. And, and that we remember that this book that we've been in for almost two years now is actually only part one of Luke's story. Part two is the book of Acts, right? So in, in part one, Luke tells about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He lays the foundation for the promise 
that is fulfilled in the book of Acts, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of God's people, the beginning of the church, right? And, and, and so when we get to texts like this, we need to keep the, the bigger picture in mind. And, and so while this is very much about the upper story, right, this is very much about um, the, the cross, this is very much about the, the, the fulfillment of Passover, that Jesus is the perfect lamb, this is the story that God's been telling way, way back since Exodus, that God has been leading to this moment, right? So we've got this great upper story that's going on. But as this upper story is going on, there's also this lower story that involves regular people like Peter. And, and, and so Luke, with that in mind, because he's telling this great long narrative, in, in, in these sections, while this, this truth of this great upper story and redemption of God is going on, there's also these very real people like, like you, like me, and, and, and Peter's one of those very real people, and he's involved in this story. And his story is going to continue over in the book of Acts. And so we have to keep this, this long narrative in mind about the story that Luke is telling us. Otherwise, we're going to miss the point. And so, 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 there's a, so this morning, while this story is very much about the cross uh, and, and Jesus fulfilling it, it's also about regular people like Peter. And a good portion of this passage today deals with Peter. And it actually began in our text last week while they were in the upper room. And so turn back with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 31, if you don't mind. Verse 31 through 34, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, in our text, Judas has left the group to go find the religious rulers in the temple guard. And Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives. He goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and it's there that his story and Peter's story continue to play out. And we know what Jesus instructs here is really important. And we know it's really important because Luke gives us a liter, liter, literary clue, okay? He uses a literary device called an inclusio. Uh, an inclusio in, in, in biblical terms is a, a section of scripture where you, you use a statement and you bracket something really important by two similar statements, okay? And, 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 and that's exactly what we have here in verse 40 and then in verse 46. Look at this one. Verse 40 says, on, on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then Jesus goes and he prays, right? And then he comes back. And, 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 and they're, they're so sorrowful that they're not praying. They're exhausted. And he says to them again in, in verse 46, Why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now, now, who does Jesus have in mind? Now, clearly he's speaking to all 11. But the text would seem to suggest that specifically he has Peter in mind because the rest of the text is a focus on Peter. Now, why would Jesus put such emphasis on Peter's need for prayer? That's the question we should ask ourselves. And the answer really is twofold. One, because he knows that Satan wants to sift him. He knows that Satan is coming after Peter. He knows that Peter needs to pray. Right? He knows that. The other thing he knows 
is that he knows that Peter thinks that he's okay. Peter thinks that he can handle it, right? That he can do it on his own and by himself. He's like, he's like, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm going to follow you to, to your death. Nothing can hold me back, Lord. Fortunately, we've all been that cocky, haven't we? <laughs> I got this, Jesus. No, I've got this whooped. I, I've got an accountability partner, Lord. I got one, right? Lord, I have identified all of my triggers. I know everything that adds stress to my life, that puts me in that bad place, that leads to me making those bad decisions. I got this, God. I got this. I can handle it. I will never commit that sin again, Lord. You're shaking your heads because you've all said the same thing. And you know what Jesus says to people that are as prideful as Peter is in our text? He says the same thing to them today that he said to Peter that night. You need to pray. You need to pray because you don't got this. Because you can't handle Satan's sifting by yourself. You need the power of God. You need the power of God. And friends, I would just say that to you this morning. There's a reason that Jesus on a regular basis. Remember, his disciples said, hey, how do we pray? And he says, well, when you pray, pray like this. Do you remember that? Lord's Prayer. Do you remember part of that section of prayer? Evidently, this is what Jesus prayed on a regular basis every day. As he prayed to the Father, one of the things he said is, lead me not into temptation. Friends, if that is how Jesus prayed, who are you to think that you don't need to pray the same prayer every single day? God, guard my heart from temptation. I love you, but you've got to understand you cannot withstand Satan's sifting on your own and by yourself. You need prayer. You need prayer. Okay? Now, that's the first lesson we learn in our text, and we're going to get back to Peter in a moment, uh, look at his lack of prayer. But first, let's, let's turn to our Lord and learn from the prayer life of, of, of Jesus. And uh, that's our second point. I want you to understand this morning, Jesus shows us that it's okay to share with God the hurts of our heart as long as we're willing to ultimately seek his. Okay? It's okay to share with God the hurts of our heart as long as we're willing to ultimately seek his. And I just, I, I love Jesus. I mean, I love his honesty. I love, I love how real he is. Um, I, like, I, I often wonder how we get so off track. Like, like, at what point did we think that we had to start acting um, like anything other than just real people, because Jesus is so genuine, um, especially in his prayer life. There's never anything disingenuine about Jesus um, when he prays to his Father. There's no mass, there's no special language, there's no worry that he wouldn't be heard uh, or that God was too busy. Jesus never held back in prayer ever. And, and our synoptic accounts uh, in Matthew and Mark actually remind us Jesus actually prayed this prayer twice. This prayer twice. And, and here's the prayer. It's in verse 42. Uh, Father. That's Abba. Daddy. He's going, hey, Dad. It's, it's me. Your son. 
if, if you're willing, would you take this cup from me? Now, listen, that's, that's important phraseology in the Bible. Uh, this cup um, referred to the cup that God intended for you to drink. The cup that God in, intended for you to drink, and it was either a cup of prosperity or a cup of adversity. Jesus is about to, of course, drink a massive cup of adversity. It's called the wrath of God. And, and he's, he's praying, hey, Dad, it's me. Ready? And, and if you're willing, could you take this cup from me? Uh, another, one of the synoptics would say, if it's possible, which that, that language is interesting, that Jesus would get to that point because he's gotten on to other people for saying to him, if it's possible. <laughs> if it's possible? If it's possible, you're talking to God. If it's possible, and yet here's Jesus in his humanity, right? And, and he's praying to his father, and he's just being real. And he's like, like if, if there's any other way, if it's possible, if you're willing, would you, would you take this cup from me? I mean, it is just honest, gut-wrenching prayer. We've got to learn a lesson there, friends. Some of you are afraid to be honest with God. Some of you are afraid to be real with God about the hurts of your heart. And I want you to understand, you've got to be willing to share the hurts of your heart with God. Like, God, this hurts. God, I'm struggling. God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know where to turn. Like, we've got to be this point where we're willing to be honest with God. And that's some of you. you that, that, that's for you today. That's what you need to hear. Now, now, there are others here this morning. You have no problem being real with God, or so you think. So you think, right? You have no problem telling God exactly what you think about the cup that he has handed unto you. God, this is what I think about this cup you got me going through right now. You consider yourself a real man. I'm real with Jesus. I really pray. I wonder in my spirit, because I've been there, if that's a real prayer or if that's just a real selfish request. Because God wants to hear our hearts. He wants us to be real. Jesus shows us that here in this prayer. But he also shows us that ultimately he wants us to trust him. Because he shares his heart. But then he says, but your will be done. I trust you. That makes prayer tough, doesn't it? That God wants to hear the hurts of your heart. He actually wants you to lay them out there. And listen, sometimes when you lay them out there, he's going to go, okay, yeah, let me, let me ease up a little bit, right? Let me, let me take this thing away. Sometimes God will do that. Sometimes he's going to do that later. Sometimes the answer is no, because he's got something better. God wants to hear the hurts of your heart, but ultimately what he wants is you to trust him. Is you to trust him. To trust that this cup is necessary. To trust that this cup is for your good. To trust that this cup ultimately is for the good of the kingdom of God. And I know for some of you this morning that is hard to hear. And I get it. Like I, I totally get it. In fact, I would say to you this morning, I wouldn't have the guts to preach it if I weren't in the ditch with you. Right? Because you can't preach a text to people that are suffering like this unless... When life is good and you feel like you're on top of the mountain. And, and thank you for your grace, Lord. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that I am where I am. 
that I have the ability to speak to you from a place uh, not of pride, but a place where I understand. Like, I get it. I get it. But it's still true. I get the hurt. I get the heartache. But it doesn't change the truth. Jesus said there would be trouble in this world. And sometimes that trouble is to provide us with an opportunity for the world to see what it really looks, to cling, looks like to cling to God with everything you have because you don't have anything else left. It gives you a stage and an audience that you should never have an opportunity to have. And so we pray, God, if it is possible, if you're willing, we would welcome some relief. God, if you are willing, we would welcome some help some health, some healing, some rest, extra measure of your provision. But, Lord, if this is the cup that we are destined to drink, if this is the cup that leads the most people to Jesus, then to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Your will be done. It's okay to share with God the hurts of your heart as long as you are willing to ultimately seek his. The promise of God, of course, when you seek him with all of your heart, that is when you will find him. Lastly, let's get back to Peter for a second. The last lesson we learn in our text is this, uh, that disappointing or denying Jesus should hurt us. Disappointing or denying Jesus should hurt us, but it shouldn't halt our pursuit of him. Disappointing or denying Jesus should hurt us, but it shouldn't halt our pursuit of him. Um, And when you read this, this is a tough passage to read. And I'll be honest, here's the hardest uh, part of the passage for me. Uh, It comes right here in in verse 61, right? Right? Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Been there, right? (laughs) In those moments of pride, Lord, I've got this. Like, I'm I'm never going to fall again. I've turned from that. that I'm done with that sin. It's, It's never happening again in my life. I've got this. I'm fine. You fall. And what happens? Jesus, it's like he's staring straight through your soul, right? It is the worst look possible. It's the worst look possible. And, 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 and so, so, so that's what happens. Peter fails, and Peter falls. P- Peter disowns Jesus, right? I, I mean, that, that, that's what happens. He denies him. He, he disappoints him. And, and then Jesus looks right at him, and it crushes Peter. Look at verse 62. So, and Peter goes outside, and, and, he, and he wept. Bitterly. It hurt him so badly, friends, that he returned back to doing what he was doing before. He became a fisher of fish again. That's, what, that, that's how badly Peter was hurt in this one moment. He, he, he felt this hurt, this, this disappointment. He had disappointed Jesus. 
And Jesus had looked at him, and he was crushed. And so he went back to the boats. He went back to what he knew before. And, and that's where Jesus finds him ultimately and, and restores him on the beach. And of course, Peter becomes uh, that great preacher later. But I, I want you to see this. That hurt that Peter had had a purpose in his life. See, that kind of hurt and disappointment that Peter felt that night the kind that we feel when we disappoint or deny Jesus. It's actually called godly sorrow. It's called godly sorrow is how the Bible defines it. I want you to see this. God designed us and actually put this mechanism within our heart. Did you know that? When God designed you, he put this mechanism of godly sorrow in your heart, so that when you sinned, you would feel a supernatural sorrow that would lead you to repentance. A supernatural sorrow that would cause change, ultimately lead to salvation and to sanctification. 2 Corinthians 7.10 puts it this way, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. You know that God put a mechanism in your heart called godly sorrow? Listen, Peter was hurt badly. He was hurt deeply. But that hurt was all part of God's plan for his life. He messed up big time. And, and, and listen, Jesus saw it. Jesus looked right at him. I need you to hear this today. Jesus does not miss it when we mess up. He doesn't. <laughs> If, if you're here and you thought, oh, he, he was looking the other way. No, he, 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 he saw it. Trust me. He saw Peter and he sees us. But God had a plan. Peter's hurt was part of God's plan. It was godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow led Peter to repentance on the shore that day as Jesus reinstated him. And that repentance resulted in Peter doing exactly what Jesus had prayed he would do, strengthening his brothers, actually becoming the first great preacher there on that day of Pentecost as thousands were saved. As Peter, the denier, became Peter, the proclaimer. That's his story. What's yours? What can God do with your failures, I wonder? I wonder, what can God do with mine? <laughs> Isn't that a glorious thought? Your failures shouldn't halt your pursuit of God. I'll give you some application. I'm going to let you go. Number one. This needs to be daily, right? So you need to write this down daily. Ask God to help you avoid falling into temptation. Um, Christian friends, I, I don't know how else to say it. I just think we have forgotten the importance of it. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I can't put my thumb on it. I don't, I don't know if it's because, you know, we, we, we preach grace and, and grace is important, 
right? Grace is there. Grace is, is genuine. Grace is true. Can't do away with the doctrine of grace. I don't know if it's, we're, we're afraid of, of legalism. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, but in our culture today, uh, man, we look like everybody else. We just, we just do. Uh, you, you can't drive down a street and, and typically tell the Christians from the non-Christians. You, you typically can't. You can't go into a restaurant uh, typically and just tell the Christians from non-Christians. You can't go to the movies and, and tell the Christians from non-Christians. And I, I'm, not, I'm not preaching about, you know, hey, you can't watch this or you can't listen to that. That's, that's not, hear me, that's not, that's not the message. What I'm, what I'm saying is, is that as Christians, we, we, we don't do this. Like, this isn't a constant part of our daily life. We're, we're not actually praying uh, about, Lord, help me not fall into temptation. We, I, I, think, I think we're just going about the day, and then when we mess up, we're just saying, hey, God, I'm sorry. And, and here's the problem with that, and, and I want you to see this clearly this morning, is that every time we fail, we actually give Satan a foothold to do more damage in us. Okay? And so if you could think about the future that Christ has for you and the way that he could use you, if you could think about your life, in, 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 um, and I'm going to think about it kind of like a, like a battle, spiritual battle. We talk about that. We talk about spiritual war. C.S. Lewis, a great Christian writer, when, when he was writing, he was in the middle of war. And, and so I want you to understand this ter- terminology. But here's a quote from C.S. Lewis about uh, temptation. He says, good and evil uh, both increase at compound interest. Jeff, you can come up and teach us a lesson on compound interest here in a second. Uh, but they, they both, it, 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 it's a good thing if it's in your 401k, I understand. So it's a good thing. Uh, so good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. The smallest victory today, that's huge. Okay? An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Whoo! you feel the gravity of that? And why are we not praying? As the Lord taught us to, right? And lead us not into temptation. I don't know about you, but I'm done with Satan, right? I have given him enough easy victories in my life. I, I don't want him to have another bridgehead or railway or, or island to shoot off another nuke at me. Like, I'm done. Every day, friends, we've got to start asking God, God, would you help me avoid temptation today? I know it's going to come. When it comes, would you make me aware of it? Uh, the Bible says, here's the goodness of God. Every time we're tempted, God provides us with a way out. But if we're not praying about it, we're not going to see the way out. If you're not daily reminded of your need to overcome temptation, you're never going to see the way out. So I want to challenge you. Ask God to help you avoid falling into temptation. God, guard my heart, guard my eyes, guard my, guard my mind. Two, uh, I'm going to ask you to be real with God about what you're going through. But trust that he knows best. I want you to find that balance in your prayer life where you're willing to 
show God all the hurts and the scars. I want you to bring those to him. But I really want to challenge you, don't stop there. It's important to be real with God in prayer, but it's also important to really trust him. And this is where beauty happens. I, I, I can't explain it. I, just, I, just, I, I know it. I've felt it. I've experienced it. That beauty happens at this place where we can come to God with all of the hurt and brokenness and we can lay it before him and then something beautiful happens when we can utter, and God, I trust that your will will be done. That's what I want. I want you to be glorified the most, however this works out. And then we get to walk away. And then we get to walk away. It's beautiful. Last thing I would share with you, uh, last challenge application, is to just get back up and get going again. I was not feeling awesome when I wrote this on Thursday, so it probably could have been something a little better than get back up and get going again. It's not the most creative line I've ever written, I've got to be honest. Our hearts shouldn't halt us. Godly sorrow should hurt. Sometimes it's going to hurt so bad you feel like giving up. Listen, when you deny Christ, that's what happens when we fall into temptation when we fail, right? It hurts. And sometimes it hurts so bad that you just want to give up. You just want to stay there. I, I, I've, I've preached this message before about Paul. And of course, in Paul's case, it wasn't sin. Paul was preaching the gospel and he got stoned for it. Carried out for dead. It was on his first missionary journey. And the amazing part of that text for me is that Paul got back up and he went back in. And I, I've said to you before, can you imagine if Paul just laid there and decided he was done? We'd be missing half the New Testament. All the epistles, none of them would have been written. Can you imagine? What, what do you do without Romans? Right? I mean, I mean what, what do we do without Ephesians, for crying out loud, or, or Philippians? I, I, I just, I, I struggle to think, like, like, like just, just imagine, and, and listen, I, you guys are going, yeah, but that's Paul. That's Paul. Listen, you're part of God's story. You are part of God's story. You are. And so I, I just, I challenge you, like, listen, I, I know that it hurts. When we fail, it, it hurts. But it should not halt our pursuit of, of Jesus. Uh, I had a pastor, uh, and it was really weird that he came to me because I was a youth guy. A guy came to me, he was a pastor in a town that I um, was a youth pastor in, and he came to me, and this pastor had blown it completely. He lost... Uh, his wife, he lost his children, he lost his ministry. He was completely disqualified, and, uh, and it was on him. The, the church was an idol to him. Uh, he, he loved the thought of being a pastor very much. When you hear the Pharisees, he liked being recognized. Um, it, this really became something that happened in his, in his life, and he gave himself fully uh, to the church, and then his ego kind of got big, and, and he neglected his children. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a crazy, crazy story about how his family turned on him, his wife divorced him, he's disqualified from ministry, um, and he stayed that way for a long time. Just, just had failed and, and was just uh, a broken person, and, and uh, it wasn't good. 
But the Lord eventually got a hold of him. Now listen, he, he can never be a pastor again. He's totally disqualified. Totally. But you know what he is today? He's a really good Sunday school teacher. He can still disciple people. And he can warn them. He can warn them about how one little loss of a railway, of a bridgehead, one little loss can lead to great tragedy. Listen, I know you think, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm, I'm just not cut of that cloth. Friend, what kind of cloth do you think we're cut of? We bleed just like you. It's not priest, it's pastor. I wonder what the Lord will do with you when you find the courage to get back up and to pursue him. I just wonder. I believe God has great things in store for the ministry of this church because I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to the people of this church and what they are going to hear is, hey, I love you. I've got so much more for you than this. Don't let this moment define the rest of your story. Let's get back up. Let's get going. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. Hey, friend, let's finish writing our story. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are good. Your word endures forever. Um, I'm very thankful for the invitation that you um, laid out for me. And it wasn't just like a one-time invitation. You just kept uh, calling and calling and calling is what you did. (sighs) And uh, I'm so grateful that you would call a sinner like me unto yourself. I'm grateful um, for the past 21 years that you've given me the privilege to follow you. God, today I'm willing to say that I'm grateful for my failures because they have hurt deeply. But God, they have always led me back to you. (laughs) Father, for every hurting heart here this morning, I pray that you would let them know that there is forgiveness and that you're waiting and that you have a future for them. You're not finished, no matter what they thought. No matter what they thought. Somebody is here and they think, but I've been divorced, Pastor. I'm done. No, you're not done. No, you're not done. Somebody says, but man, I've, I've publicly disgraced Jesus. No, you're not done. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. 
doesn't have to be the end of your story. So while Alan plays, this is what I want you to think about right now. I want you to think about whatever that thing is that you always come back to that makes you feel unimportant, makes you feel like a failure. What sin is it? We're going to do two things here. So first of all, you figure out what sin it is. And we're going to do two things here. First, we're going to pray, God, help me not fall into that temptation anymore. God, make that part of my daily prayer life. I want to be on guard. I cannot withstand Satan on my own. God, help me. Okay? Here's the second thing we're going to pray. It's God, help me overcome this sorrow. Help me repent. Help me repent. God, help me get back up and follow you with everything that I am and everything that I have. Would you just pray that this morning right there where you are? feel this morning in my spirit, I think there's a testimony out there. You don't have to stand up and, and, and actually speak. There's somebody out there this morning that you're willing to say, God, you're not done with me yet. I know you've got a future for me. Who is it? Just, just raise your hand. Say, God, I know you've got a future for me. Yeah. God, I, I'm not a failure, <laughs> even though Satan has been making me feel that way. Who would say that? I, I know it today. I know I'm ready. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to get back up today. I'm going to get back up today. I am bigger than this. This does not define me. Who's willing to say that? This sin doesn't define me. doesn't define me. Right? Come on. Who the, today would be willing to say, Jesus, today I get it. It is not about my performance, but it's about your perfection. Amen? Amen. 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 Look up here, guys. Look up here. The story of God is so beautiful and so rich. And if we don't take the time to find ourselves in it, we'll forget that we're part of it. <laughs> we'll forget that we're part of it. We'll think about Peter and we'll think about Paul and we'll say, oh, those great saints. They are just part of the same story that you and I are a part of. So my friends, let's start writing again. Amen.